0: Welcome to Business Talk Sister Talk. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruthie. And today's episode is, What is Intellectual Property? Uh, Today with us, we have a special guest. His name is Chris. He's going to tell us a little bit about what he does. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. So the first question really is, what do you do?
1: I do a lot of things, but what I, I like doing is I help small business owners grow the value of their business. using intellectual property.
0: So how do you do that?
1: That's an interesting question because, uh, the model that's been in existence for a long time is a, is of course kind of the law firm model. I'm a patent attorney, intellectual property attorney. So I have my own law firm. Now I was once working in a large law firm, you know, one of those corner office things, but, um, it, you know, the billable rate for a lawyer in a corner office is somewhere around $650 an hour, and most small business people can't afford $650 an hour, no matter how smart you are and uh, how efficient you are. Um, so I started my own law firm to, to use flat fees so that they'd be relatively reasonable and I could help more small business people grow their businesses. But even that is expensive for a lot of businesses, I mean, especially when you're talking about businesses these days. So I've come up with a new and better way of doing that using um, online video training and uh, offline video training and and one-on-one sessions and the IP Masterclass, which Becca knows about, um, that actually provides interactive help and coaching to help the business owner grow the value of their business without really spending as much time on my side doing
2: all the work. Okay, so let's ask a clarifying question here (laughs) Um, for our listeners and for me, because I feel like I don't have a great grasp on this, but explain to us what intellectual property is.
1: All right. Intellectual property is a legal way of protecting the intangibles in a business. And so we have to step back one and say, what are intangibles? And intangibles are things like the creativity, the creative works that you, you generate. It's the Um, know-how and ideas that you have. It's the inventions you might come up with. Um, It's copyrighted uh, works that are artistic in some way. Um, It's all of those things that bring value to a business, but you can't really touch them. Um, You might be able to see them on a screen. You might be able to see them on a piece of paper, but there's a creative element in there that is not something that you can touch. And that's why it's called intangible. And so that intangible property, all that thing, all the, the things that add value to a business, those are worth more than eighty percent of the value of businesses listed on the S and P 500, and even more for innovative and creative businesses. You know, artists and and uh, people that are coming up with new products and new services and new ways of doing business. Those, it's substantially more than 80% of the value of the business that is locked up in those intangibles. Um, And the way that you protect that is with intellectual property. And so intellectual property includes uh, registered copyrights, registered trademarks, um, patents, uh, trade secrets, which aren't registered but are nonetheless protected under law. And so intellectual property is a kind of law that allows you to own and protect those valuable intangibles that make your business worth something to your customers.
0: So tell us why is intellectual property important uh, to have for your business?
1: Well, intellectual property is only important if it's protecting something that is valuable, right? You could spend tens of thousands of dollars on a patent or even hundreds of thousands of dollars on a patent. And it could bring no value to your business if it's not protecting an invention that has value to your customers. So what, and I see that all the time, 90% of the people that come to me, maybe more than 90% of the people that come to me looking for a patent, don't actually have a patentable invention that would benefit from ever having that patent issued. So I try and convince them not to waste their money um which is kind of against my own interest but it's definitely in their interest because they should be focusing on what will bring value to their company. So if intellectual property itself doesn't have value and that's my belief, it doesn't have value in and of itself. You have to look at what does have value and that's your intangible property. That's your creativity, it's your it's your know-how, it's your inventions, it's your uh copyrighted works. um those things have value to your company because your customers value those. They want more of what you're offering, um, and they that builds your brand and it builds the value of your company. And ultimately, that's the purpose of it. Proverbs has an expression that wealth has wings and flies away, and it's so true. You know, I've been around for a while, and it doesn't matter how much money you make, you can always spend it. it doesn't matter whether you bring that in and and put it in the bank, eventually it's going to leave the bank, right? You put it in stocks, eventually the stock market's going to drop. Something will happen and and that kind of wealth, that kind of fungible cash will eventually go away. And you certainly can't take it with you. But the value of a business creates wealth that sticks around forever. A brand um, can last forever and never expires. And some of the you know, just for examples, there are brands that are worth half a billion dollars like Apple and Google and Amazon. Those are extremely valuable brands, but yet they don't exist except in the hearts and minds of their customers. Um, the goodwill associated with those brands actually has value. But the trademarks for Apple and Google and Amazon, protect that goodwill and protect that brand. And that makes them worth getting.
2: That is really valuable. And I uh, was just geeking out what way, you, everything that you are saying, I was like, wow, that makes so much sense of just the way that you articulated that it was really cool. Um, so what happens then if say someone tries to kind of infringe on that copyright then? Like if I were to say, oh, I'm with Apple now and I start producing products that are, Really low quality, what would happen in that? How is it protected with this um, intellectual property?
1: Well, you can imagine that brands that have a half of a billion dollar value to their brand are very jealous about their brands. They don't want people disparaging them and tarnishing them. So uh, I have an, a story about that. Uh, there was a, a fellow who I ran into, and I was talking to him, and he had set up a social media site for artists. And he I can't remember what he called it, but he called it something book. And within about six months, Facebook, a lawyer that was serving Facebook, sent him a cease and desist letter just because even though the first part of it had nothing to do with face, and none, none of it seemed like it sounded like Facebook or anything, just the fact that it had book in the name, they sent a cease and desist letter he naturally thought it was a total mistake because there was no chance of confusion between his little artist site and, you know, Facebook, which everybody knows. Mm -hmm. So he called the attorney back in all his naivete and uh, the attorney explained to him that he had a $50 million budget without even asking um, Facebook for any more money and asked him how much his budget was (laughs) and he didn't have a budget for litigation. So, he changed his name.
0: Mm.
1: And that's just something when you're, when you're looking for a brand name, you have to consider that, right? Do the search, find out whether or not some large company that's going to have a team of lawyers suing you uh, owns something similar and avoid that, right? Come up with something distinctive of your own. and, And he eventually did. And the name was better. And I, I can't remember what it is. He sold the company off before he even met me. And, um, and made some money on it but he came up with a better name than his original whatever it was book and it turned out good for him but it doesn't always turn out good I, you know you hear about all these like mom and pop coffee stores that get into lawsuits with some big company and and it puts them out of business and that's always a shame so part of what i do is trying to keep that from happening and that's why i try and reach business owners early on before they get too carried away in, in their brand name and, and try and get them to do a search and make sure that they, they can actually own it. Because that's the way you own a trademark. You own a trademark by using it, um, by bu- building up goodwill among your customers. And so if you can use, if you can find a trademark that can be distinctively yours, then that's a good trademark.
0: Hmm. So what intellectual property rights are protected by copyright?
1: Copyright is a really amazing intellectual property, right? Because it lasts for your life plus 70 years if you're an individual. And if you're a business, it lasts for 90 years. So it's a really long time that you get to have the exclusive right to make um, and make derivatives of and use and publish that copyrighted work. Um, it is the longest period of time other than trademarks because trademarks never expire and trade secrets never expire except trade secrets often get discovered and, and will eventually not be secret anymore, but trademarks can go on forever. Other than that, copyrights going on for 70 years plus, you know, life of the author plus 70 years, that's a very long time. So what exactly does it do for you? Let me give you some concrete examples. Let's say you have a copyrighted image that your company owns and someone else decides they're going to go into competition with you. And instead of coming up with their own copyrighted images and their own copy on their website, they just borrow yours. Um, Well, you can close them down by contacting their Internet service provider and their social media sites, and they will remove those infringing copyrighted works by closing down that website. And so that's a very powerful tool you have that you don't even have to go to a lawyer or go to court to do. It's relatively easy just to follow the instructions that the internet service providers have. And the reason that that exists is because there's a law called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And it requires any internet service provider in order to get immunity from copyright infringement to have a reasonable takedown policy and it, and the guidelines for that takedown policy are really um, favorable to copyright owners because within a few days, like maybe five days, they need to be taking down that infringing website off of their site and the copyright huh. owner wins. So most copyright owners don't know this really. Um, it it's a very powerful way of protecting your brand. So not only do you protect your brand with trademarks, you can also protect it with copyrights because a lot of times there's also copyright infringement when someone is trying to knock off your brand.
2: So tell us about uh, trademarks. How are those different than copyright?
1: Well, a trademark is entirely different than copyrights because remember, I, I just said copyrights give you the right to copy things and publish them and make derivative works. Mm. Well, that's not what trademarks do at all. Trademark is just there to protect consumers from confusion. Mm. So, what does that mean? If you have two products and they're in competition in the marketplace, and one of the products is called um, Alphabet Stew, and the other one is called um, spaghettios, there's no problem, right? Alphabet stew, spaghettios, no one's gonna confuse those. But if someone comes and says, you know, I'm gonna, I, I love that Apple, you know, the Alphabet stew product, I'm going to come up with an alphabet soup product. Well, obviously, consumers are gonna be confused because alphabet stew and alphabet soup sound a lot alike and they're gonna think it's the same brand, which means that they can no longer trust that that the same quality of that brand because the other company might have an entirely different quality standard. So trademarks, trademark law allows a trademark owner to stop an infringer from confusing the consumers by coming out with something that's likely to cause confusion in the marketplace. So it is there specifically to protect the trademark owner's brand, name, brand, identity, um, even its trade dress, which is a concept which most people don't even know about. Trade dress is the look and feel of products, or maybe the packaging of products, or maybe even the look and feel of a restaurant can be trade dress. So it's when a consumer comes in and they see it, they recognize it as belonging to that brand. So all of those things give consumers confidence that the product or the services they're receiving is coming from a trusted source, And when someone infringes that, they're actually trying to confuse consumers or inadvertently confusing consumers. um, And the trademark owner has a right to stop them from doing that.
0: Wow. Okay. So the last last question on, on that category that I wanted to clarify is, what exactly is a trade secret? Can you give us maybe an example of what that would look like?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So a trade secret can be a wide range of things. You know, of course, it can be like the recipe to your secret sauce, right? The Coca-Cola recipe kept in a vault somewhere in the Smoky Mountains. I, I don't know if that's true, but okay. Um, Any anyway, rate, it's kept in a vault somewhere, right? That recipe that no one knows except for two people, and they only pull out the recipe when they they need to confirm it, and they they scatter around the different ingredients and make sure that they only get mixed in one place or whatever. Um, you know they they go to great lengths to protect the secret of what goes into Coca Cola. That is a trade secret, certainly. But it's also it could be a trade secret who your customers are. It could also be a trade secret who your vendors are. It could also be a trade secret how you train your employees. It could also be also be a secret the process you use in your um, factory for producing some product or or uh, or chemical that would be altered if you weren't following that process. And it's not easily um, figured out by somebody else, what we call in the trade reverse engineered. So if it's easy to reverse engineer, it's not a it's not a very good trade secret because they can just look at it and figure out how you did it. But if it's hard to figure out how you did it, then it makes a good trade secret that can last years and years or like Coca Cola. I mean, all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, so Trade secrets are very valuable and very common. And in fact, um I was a consultant for the aluminum industry when I was in, I was a PhD graduate student and I was doing research in material science and that includes aluminum smelting. And so I worked with two different aluminum smelters during my PhD and they both had very similar trade secrets. And most people think that's impossible. You can't have the same trade secrets but you actually can because those two companies had very similar trade secrets but a lot of other people out there didn't know their trade secrets even in the industry so you know i was sworn to silence on what their trade secrets are but i guess i just told those two companies that they have similar trade secrets but that was like 30 years ago so it's okay <laughs>
2: All right. Um, Tell us about these intellectual property classes that you've set up. You were kind of telling Becca a a little bit about those, and I'm really curious to hear more about it.
1: So what I what I've done is I've broken up into easily digestible pieces the kinds of things that small business owners need. Because as I was explaining, um, you really don't want to spend thousands of dollars on something that doesn't add value to your company. So the first thing is to figure out what adds value to your company. And I have a a metaphor for that called the concertina principle, because when I started my career, it was not as a scientist or a lawyer. It was as a military officer. I graduated West Point and went into the military for five years and the National Guard again for about six more years. And what you learn there is through history, you know, the West Point side, and through practice is whoever controls the high ground basically usually wins the battle, even if they're way outnumbered. And the high ground is just what we, in the military, call key terrain. And so that key terrain is like a hill that can see the entire battlefield and you can see what's going on and you can direct your soldiers and fire to wherever it needs to go on the battlefield and you have a significant advantage. Well, it's the same thing with intangible property. in this case, intangible property gives you that high ground. It gives you something that your customers really value and gives you a competitive advantage in the marketplace. So the idea in, in uh, small unit tactics or even in larger unit tactics was to hold that high ground, hold that key terrain and win the battle. It's the same with your intangible property. Your intangible property that has value is what is valuable to your customers. They they want Your products and services because of what your intangible property is. It's it might be some better quality of your products, or it might be um, a lower price that that you produce through a trade secret, or it might be your creativity, right? It might be your entertain entertainment value on the internet, um, on YouTube. It might be any of those things, but it'll be different for every company. Every business owner has strengths and weaknesses and those strengths that you have, if they're distinctive and unique to your customers, you will find customers that value that. And then what you want to do with intellectual property is you want to figure out how can I defend that key terrain? So, concertina refers to concertina wire and my metaphor is that registering a trademark or registering a copyright that's like rolling out a strand of this concertina wire and i I don't know if you've ever seen concertina wire um but it's it comes in these big bales coils and you can a couple of soldiers can stake it out and they can pull out this concertina wire like a a slinky if you I don't know. Some people don't even know what a slinky is anymore, but a slinky is a, a wire that's circular and you can pull it out and, and it stretches for a long ways and it sets up a really quick barrier. And that can be what your intellectual property does. The The trademark registration that you file sets up a, a barrier um, that prevents your competitors from encroaching on your key terrain, which is your the, the intangible property that you have that's so valuable to your business because your customers put a value on it and it builds a value in your company that makes your company worth something even when you're dead and gone, just like the copyright registration that lasts for the life of the author plus 70 years, a business can outlast the owner of the business, the, the founder of the business. So it's, it's real wealth that you can create that can go on for generations and, um, you know, cash will never do that.
0: So what resources and tools do you recommend to anyone who's looking to learn more about intellectual property?
1: So that's a, it's kind of a multifaceted question. Um, certainly I'm going to recommend my own tools.
2: Um, <laughs> <That's okay. Fair laughs> <but enough. laughs>
1: there, there are also lots of free tools out there. So, you know, there is no reason to go out and use a company, um, you know, like a LegalZoom or something. Those kinds of companies just put an extra layer over what the real tool is that's doing the job. So if you're going to file a trademark registration, you should file that trademark registration with your secretary of state in your state If it's if you're using it only within the state. And you should file that registration with the federal government through the United States Patent and Trademark Office, if you're going to file it with the federal government. They have their own interface. It's not hard to learn. So what I do instead of, uh, I think everybody's heard the expression, um, you know, if you give a man a fish, you he's not hungry for for a a day, day. yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But if but if you teach the man to fish. He's going to be not hungry his entire life. So, my idea is that it would be much better to teach um, startup entrepreneurs and small business owners how to work with those interfaces that exist that are free than it is for me to charge, you know, $1,200 or something to file a trademark registration for them. And even if I charge, you know, even if they take a half an hour or an hour of my time to teach them that, you know, they, they actually register like uh, Becca did. If they, if they register and have a one-on-one call with me, I can walk them through the application and teach them how to do it the first time. And mm-hmm. they'll be able to do it every time after that. Well, taking that one step further, um, I came up with the upscaling program, which is online videos that they can look at and watch and learn from over and over again, so that every time that they want to file a trademark registration, they can go through the training and they can just follow the step by step instructions and file their registration themselves, or have someone in their organization follow that training and, and file it themselves without the high costs. And it goes from, you know, maybe $1,200 or $1,500 that a trademark attorney would charge to. Uh, the $250 to $275 that the trademark office charges, right? That's the government fee. You can't get lo- less than that. Hmm. A wow. state trademark registration in Florida is only $87.50. So if okay. you can do it yourself, that's you can do a lot of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's get down to Florida, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Wow. I I feel like this is a little bit blast, sandblasted to my brain with all this knowledge. But this is really good, and thankfully it's a recorded audio, so we can listen to it again and again.
1: <laughs> yes, that is the benefit of having recorded audio that you can, or recorded audio and video that you can actually watch it again and again. And sometimes it takes a couple of watchings to get through and and really understand all the material. But intellectual property sounds very confusing. Um, it is very confusing to many people, but it's really not that hard to learn, um, especially if you have a good teacher that kind of walks you through it, yeah. a little bit at a time. And that's mm-hmm. what that's what I've done with the upscaling, and and now even breaking that down further, I uh, I broken into own, protect, and grow, because the most important thing that any business owner needs to do is to make sure that you own everything related to your business. So you set up a limited liability company, so you own the business. And then you make sure that limited liability company owns all of its intangible property. Because you don't know when you're starting out which intangible property is going to be your most valuable intangible property. You don't know if it's going to be your creativity necessarily or your you're, you might come up with some trade secret and inventive process, or you might come up with something that's patentable, or you might just have a really cool brand that catches on and goes viral. Any of those things can happen when you're starting, and it, it's not necessarily what you think it's going to be. So you should make sure you own them all, right?
0: Mm. Yeah. And then
1: so. <laughs> the ones that are valuable, the ones that turn out your customers really appreciate appreciate, and, and, and it adds the most value to your business, you should make sure that those are protected. You run those strands of concertina wire out there to give, give that key terrain some ability to defend itself. And, you know, you start doing everything you can with copyrights and trademark law and, and trade secret law and patent law and whatever else you need to build up that defensive perimeter so that if some large company comes after you, and they want to take you out. um, You can defeat them in the courts. You can defeat them because you've taken reasonable measures to protect that intangible property, even though you might not have nearly the resources that they do.
0: Mm. So, okay, we have talked a ton today and I wish we could talk more, (laughs) but we're going to transition into a story because uh, you have one that I'm really excited to hear about your entrepreneurial son. (laughs) Could you tell us a little bit about that uh, in our gawk portion?
1: Sure. My, my youngest son has been an entrepreneur from birth. Um, He from two, three or four years old, he was pulling his wagon out with stuff on our curb to try and do a garage sale and uh, the first time I saw this, um, he had got a sign, which he, he uh, unfortunately has a hard time writing when he was younger. Now he's getting all A's in his writing and, and literature classes. But back then, you know, we had to re- I re- read one chapter, he'd read one chapter and he had to really work on his handwriting. So he had put these signs out there that nobody could read and <laughs> he'd have his garage sale on a street with a cul-de-sac <laughs> where there were only about six families down the street. And so I went out there to see what he was selling and he hadn't sold any yet. Um, And it was all my stuff. It was like my power
0: tools.
2: (laughs) Why would he sell his own stuff? stuff That's what I said. I said, you
1: can't sell my stuff. And he said, but your stuff's all the good stuff. I said, no, you can't sell my stuff. I need that stuff. And and you should sell your stuff. And he said, I don't want to sell my stuff. So, oh, okay, that didn't work out, but he, he didn't give up because I came home from work one day and there was, there was a sign in the yard and I could read his handwriting. I mean, it's like he would do his G's backwards and his B's backwards and his P's backwards. So the P's look like G's and and the B's look like whatever. And and so I came in, in down the little cul-de-sac street that we're on and in our yard is a sign that says Gorilla Bank. And so I knew but that sign up. So I went in and I talked to my son and he said, What's this with the Gorilla Bank? And he said, Well, Dadu. They call me Dadu because it's a kind of a mix between tatush, which is Polish for dad, and dad, which is English for dad. And so they call me dadu, and you say, Dadu, that's where all the money is. It made perfect sense to him.
2: So he started his own bank. Uh He started
1: his own bank right there in our yard.
2: (laughs) Candy. (laughs) Our siblings that used to always call the bank the candy store because they would always go and get candy. (laughs) I was like, I want to go to the candy store today. And so my mom finally figured out that they were talking about the bank. (laughs) They always hand Uh, out suckers. (laughs) Yeah. Well thank you so much for joining us today Chris it was so fun to to hear about your stories of your family and then also just to yeah really learn about copywriting and and the world of of intellectual property it's yeah it's a lot more in depth than i could have ever imagined and that's Really cool. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, If you liked what you heard today, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on wherever you find your podcast or on Spotify, um, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We will see you again next week.